Well, a happy Thursday night, everyone, and welcome into another edition of This Week in Hockey. Back with you after a week off because, well, let's be honest here, Joe, we needed time to just enjoy turkey. Am I right? We had to let the stomach settle. Uh, my wife made some killer stuffing, and I think it's finally now just lodging itself uh, from one intestine to the other. Eventually, I will pass it, and we'll be good to go. But yes, we needed some time <laughs> off, Alex, without question. But I'm happy to be back. Happy to be back indeed with some hockey talk tonight. And we thought, you know what? Rather than just Joe and I go back and forth, we bring in someone who is a fan favorite here on this show. He's a fan favorite here in St. Louis. And if I'm not mistaken, Joe, this is the fourth time he's been on this week in hockey. So it's kind of like a a reunion to get him back on with us. He is former NHL goaltender and Las Vegas Golden Knights broadcaster, Mike McKenna. Mike, how are you today, buddy? Oh, I'm doing great. You know, the, the clouds are out. It might snow or rain a little bit. feels like perfect December weather. You must be back in St. Louis then because I know that's not the weather in Vegas. That's exactly right. It's probably, I haven't checked lately, but I'm sure it's probably 65 and, you know, it's hoodie weather in Vegas right now and a little bit different. So I'm, I'm hoping I get back there soon though, because we need to, we need some hockey to talk about. So you know, being in St. Louis is fine, but my job's in Vegas, and I'd really like to get cracking again. Amen to that, and we're hoping we get back to that soon. We'll get into that in just a bit, but first things first, how was Thanksgiving, Mike? Did you enjoy food just as much as Joey and I did? Oh, I did. You know what? Uh, I, we might have had a little friendly rivalry here. My wife made bread. Now, she didn't make bread the mm. same way that Joey makes it. She She didn't do the full sourdough. She doesn't have starters up in the attic but she did a great <laughs> job so that made some awesome dressing for us i actually over smoked a turkey which really bummed me out i just didn't get it right but you know what you put enough gravy on it and it finally tastes good and you know we had a really small thanksgiving it's just myself and family and my parents so uh it's always good to have family around well mike you know for your wife's sake i will tell people who start to make bread i don't you know you put flour water and salt together and you you can do whatever you want to do to it and you put it in the oven and right when it comes out of the oven if it's hot it's going to taste great don't you don't want it to sit around for another 20 minutes because then it could turn into complete poop but i'm telling you right now <laughs> when you make bread any any bread out of the oven is great bread mike i know you're a big foodie I know you love food. I, I know I love seeing you on your Instagram and doing your thing with the barbecue and the smoking. With me and my bread, if my bread does not turn out good, I am in a sour mood for probably a solid day. And my wife knows this. She like stay away. Are you the same way? Because you mentioned you oversmoked your turkey. Were, were you? Is it something that takes an hour or two to kind of get through? Or are you kind of a, a sour puss kind of the rest of the rest of Thanksgiving day? Oh, I was I was mad at myself for a while. You know, I was able to snap out of it, though, because I knew that I made adequate gra- gravy, right? I made that a day in advance. I knew it was going to save it. But when I don't have anything to save the product, you know, like if I know it's going to turn out garbage, <laughs> I- I'm in one, man. It's like having a bad round of golf where you just stew until the next time you can get out there. I- thankfully, like being a goalie, I got better at compartmentalizing things as I got older but it still t- can take me a few hours at a time because you put so much love into it. You know, if you if you bake that bread and it doesn't come out right, it's personal, you know? It's a labor of love, and when it doesn't work, it's so infuriating. You know what, Joe? I also see what you did there with the sour pun in the sourdough bread, so mm-hmm. good job to you, buddy. Good job to you. You see, you see what I did there? And, you know, it's funny, Alex, like Mike was saying, 
you know, I'm, I'm not a very nice guy. So when it doesn't turn out good, I typically blame my wife or my kids. Like, Hey honey, you were, you, I had to watch so-and-so for an hour when I, my needed blah, blah, blah. This is your fault. So I just put the blame. It always helps to put the blame somewhere else. But Mike, I wanted to ask you, I mean, a lot's going on in St. Louis, you know, a lot of restaurants being shut down, you know, uh, with Sam Page's new restrictions of the County and, and it's just kind of all over the place. And I know, you not only are a big foodie, you, you love to make food, but also you're a big supporter of, and you have a lot of very close friends. You and Gerard Kraft used to ride bikes uh, together. You know um, all, all kinds of wonderful chefs around town. And, and is there a better time than now to find a way to support these people? And, and I'm going to give the platform to you. What are, what are some of your just favorite go-to spots that people right now today could reach out to in St. Louis and find some great food and support these local businesses? Well, Joe, you nailed it earlier talking about Gerard Kraft, his business, uh, his his restaurants, Pasteria, uh, and the other ones that he has in town, Brasserie, Niche, is not no longer, right? Like, it's not around anymore, which is it's such a bummer because it was one of our favorites, but they've pivoted, and now they're doing takeout sandwiches out of what used to be Sardella. So you're finding some of these chefs around town that have found new ways to make it happen. I think of my friends over at Grace Meat Plus 3, that the moment the pandemic hit, they went to a takeout barbecue model, you know, and so they were able to, to make it work that way. Uh, the guys down at, at Sydney Street and Peacemaker, um, Nashon down there, the chef, they, they've done the good job, too, trying to make sure that they have things available. I, I think of Nick Bogner at Nippente and at Indo, who just managed to keep going even during this. And it's, it is the best time that you can support somebody grab that carry out, throw a little bit extra on the tip if you can. You know, our, our favorite restaurant out in West County, Mi Lupita, Mexican restaurant out here, is has actually done a nice job. Like, they're staying afloat because people are so loyal to them. They're, they're still doing the carry out. They're tossing a tip on it. Uh, you don't have to eat in a restaurant to enjoy it. Try to make the most out of that if you possibly can. All those, all those small restaurants that you see in your neighborhood that you're thinking of, you know, that, that haven't been able to, to latch on to big-time funding or anything. They need us the most you can now, and uh, anything you can do to help them and keep them in business when this is all over, we want them to still stick around, right, Joey? Dude, absolutely, and Gerard is, is such a hardworking, great, great man, and just a humble chef. Like, he's a, so he's a, uh, Alex, he's a, like, uh, this world-renowned James Beard winner, which is basically the yeah. Oscars for chefs. He, he's got a bunch star. of these awards. Yeah, he's a rock star. And, and you talk to him and you think you're just talking to the guy that washed the dishes. He's such a good man. And and, and we, we see these chefs and they put their hearts and souls in, into this only to make such a fraction of a profit. And it's so hard to make yeah. a lot of money in the food industry. So, uh, no, I think that's a, I think it's a great thing, Mike. And, and Alex, I, I, I wanted to start there because because Mike, he's like me. You know, we we love our hockey but we love our food. You know what I mean? That's important. Yep. Hey, you guys are preaching You guys are preaching to the choir here. Talking with Mike McKenna here on This Week in Hockey, of course, St. Louis native, former NHL goaltender, now part of the Vegas Golden Knights broadcast crew. Of course, it's Joe Vitale and Alex Ferrario. So speaking of getting back to normal, fellas, when the hell are we going to get back to normal with hockey? I think that's the biggest question that everyone continues to ask. And now we're hearing about the ongoing negotiations, or as Gary Bettman likes to call it, not negotiations. Joe, I'll start with you. Where the hell are we right now, and are we going to see hockey at some point? 
Well, I think we're in a good spot. And, you know, I think that uh, the things that have happened over the last couple of weeks with the renegotiations of the CBA that was established in July, I think that was that was that wart that you can cover up with a, a long sleeve shirt. But eventually we knew we had to come down that road. And I think they came down a couple of weeks ago. The players got a little fired up. You know, there, there's a lot of discussions and talks about how accurate those reports were about what exactly the owners were asking. I know that Gary Bettman has mentioned that they're going to maybe possibly be leaving the escrow alone because the players are pissed that they are maybe going to be jumping up to 25% when it was established at 20. So I think, I think now I think right now where we sit now, I think we're in a very good spot. I think they've kind of left the escrow thing, thing alone. I was playing pickleball with a couple of the blues players uh, three weeks ago when all this news started to break. And one of the players said something to me, he's like, you know, if you want to defer our money for down the road, that's one thing. But don't come after our escrow. That that's, that was the hot topic for the players. And I think based off of what Gary Bettman has said as of today, it doesn't sound like the owners are necessarily going to be coming after the escrow like we originally thought a week or two ago. So I think that's going to be a really important thing. So the fact of that is 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 in the forefront. The escrow is possibly going to be left alone. And the, the urgency and the hunger, Mike, I think for these players to want to come back and play the sport they love. I mean, we're talking about almost a year. It's been almost a yeah. year since we've seen the LA Kings. It's been almost a year since we've seen the Ottawa Senators. Players have never wanted to play the sport this badly, I think, in their entire career. So I think the fact that their hunger is there, and I think that the owners are going to do right by leaving escrow alone and maybe pushing some of this money into deferred payments to hopefully pay the players back down the road, I think we're in a very good spot. I think without question, Mike, and, and maybe you agree or don't agree, I think without question, I am almost at 100% that we will see hockey sometime in January. Oh, Joe, you're right. We're playing hockey this year. We're not anymore, at least. We're, we're <laughs> talking about it. But we, I just can't imagine, because of the desire and the hunger for the players to play, and the league knows, the, the owners know, you cannot go away in the sports landscape for a year and a half for some of your teams and expect to come out of it. Even if you're looking at a daunting financial picture, you've got to find a way to make it work, to get your game in front of people, to keep people engaged. And the players won it. You know, it, it was a big shock to hear the, the escrow talk. Uh, but the bottom line is it's a 50-50 split in terms of revenue between players and owners. It's going to eventually even itself out down the road. Finding the proper structure to do so, maybe that's a bit of a chore. But if you're faced with a situation where you have to play hockey, you come to a, you come to a final vote. You come to a final solution. You make sure it happens. So when does it happen? That's the big question. None of us have those answers, but I totally agree with Joey that I, I think that before long, we're eventually going to be getting back to work and we're going to see a product on the ice again. So, Mike, real quick, let me ask you this, and we'll take a quick break and come back because I want to get into some goaltender conversation with uh, Mike McKenna and Joe Vitale. But, Mike, what do you think these training camps are going to look like? And, Joe, your thoughts as well because, you know, you got the teams that played in the bubble like Vegas and like St. Louis, but you also have the teams like Detroit that didn't play in the bubble and hasn't seen the ice as a team since, what, March of 2019. So, I mean, these training camps, you would imagine they have to make sure that there's enough time to not only get players back from overseas wherever they are at, but also give them the quarantine opportunity and then give them the proper time to do training camp and preseason before season really begins. Yeah, I think you know, so. I also think the time's of the essence here, guys. You know, like they, they need to get playing so that they can get a number of games in. So, you know, is it going to be two weeks? I'd imagine so. Could they get it done in a week? Probably. I mean, I look back to the 2012-2013 lockout and how quickly hockey came back from that. 
we went from playing in the American Hockey League to guys leaving the team and a week later playing National Hockey League games. And I know it's a bit different scenario because guys have been on the ice, but it's amazing how well-tuned athletes are nowadays and how quickly they can get into gear and get ready for game shape. The big question mark is that everybody's gone through free agency. There's been trades. You know, you have different chemistry for teams. So to me, that's the bigger impetus is that teams are going to want to get their chemistry down, their line set, and get their systems in place for the season as quick as they can. There is no excuse for a player not to be ready within seven days, I think, of training camp. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, because this isn't this isn't like a bubble situation where players don't know. Players know that eventually they're going to play again. They've been off for a very, very long time. So they're, they're ready. So what's going to happen is the, the league and the players are going to come together. They're going to establish a, a date soon. I, I think within a week or two. I think, I think we will have a date to look forward to. Once the players from Europe and Canada, wherever they're at, and they need to get to their host cities, once they have that date, boom, they're on the next flight. Within a week, they'll be home, in their city, and it's go time. Training camp will start when they arrive in their host city. Let's call it December 13th, right? It's not going to start January 3rd because that's what the calendar says. You know, like, Mike, you brought up the 12-13 lockout. I remember being in Pittsburgh. I was in the best shape of my life because Sidney Crosby was running, like, a drill sergeant practices. We were so ready to go. I think it was (laughs) mid-January, January 19th when that season started. And this will be the same way for these players. I don't want to hear this BS that they need three weeks. It's ridiculous. These players, they're already skating every day. They're so hungry. They are chomping at the bit. You cannot tell me that a player like uh, Brady Kachuk for the Ottawa Senators is going to need a three-week camp to get ready. I think seven days, maybe throw in one, two exhibition games. And like Mike said, uh, Alex, they got to start the ball rolling here because we're up, we got, we're up against a deadline of June 30th where we got to be out of there for the Olympics. So they got to start playing some games. Yeah, well, and that's why I really feel like now that we're past Thanksgiving and we're getting closer to Christmas, I would imagine these conversations are going to ramp up between the NHL and NHLPA, um, which, of course, will get us to the point where we can start to see training camp. Mike McKenna is going to hang around with us for one more segment. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up, goaltenders on new teams. What do these guys actually look like, and how much better do they make the teams? We'll touch on that with Mike next here on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Thursday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale, and we are joined by Mike McKenna, St. Louis native, and of course, former NHL AHL goaltender. He's a part of the Las Vegas broadcast team for the Golden Knights. And fellas, let's talk about the area of expertise for Mike McKenna. Uh, Maybe it's yours, Joe. I don't know. Maybe you played goalie at some point, right? No, I played goalie for one time. I was a mite. I told my dad I want to play goalie. We lost thirteen to two. I'll never play it again. And and plus, and plus, Alex, you got to be a little weird to be a goalie. Mike will tell you this. You got to be a little off. You got to be a little goofy. You got to be a little bit of a uh, space cadet. And Mike, Mike fills all those checks in, in those boxes. So that's why he's Thanks, the goalie, boys. and I'm not. This is here his expertise. <laughs> Appreciate it. That's always nice. We're creative. I'm telling you, it's that we're creative. We're like the art kids of hockey. Like we, we're drawn to the position by the colorful gear and everything else. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like I've met Mike, and he's not a crazy goaltender. But um, then I think of uh, what was his name in uh, Philly and Anaheim, who was talking about aliens and grizzly bears. Yep. Ilya Brzgalov. Yeah, that. Uh, then I start to understand the weirdness. So Mike just must be the other end of the spectrum on the weird goaltenders. Uh, it's just, it's all a facade. Joey knows me. It's a big facade. I, you get to really know me, and I mean, I like, 
you know, heavy metal and roller coasters and racing and things that are outside the box. <laughs> well, we love having you here on the show, Mike, regardless if Joe thinks you're crazy or not. But I want to get into some goaltenders because this was a really intriguing free agency, of course, one, because of COVID, but two, for how many goaltenders were on the market and how many changed teams? I mean, if you go through some of these lists, guys, you know, Matt Murray, of course, with Pittsburgh, he gets traded to Ottawa. Jay Jacob Markstrom leaves the team in the Pacific Division of the Vancouver Canucks and goes to play for the Calgary Flames. Braden Holtby goes to Vancouver, Crawford to New Jersey, Talbot to Minnesota, Thomas Grice to Detroit, <laughs> Lundquist to Washington. I mean, this was about as much of insanity as you can imagine, Mike, by these guys moving teams. Just your initial thoughts on, on all of these goaltender moves. All it shows to me is that nobody's ever happy with their goaltending. Even if you have the king, the king, Henrik Lundqvist, you're not happy. And there's extenuating circumstances to what happened with the New York Rangers. Lundqvist, you know, was the odd man out. They have two young goaltenders that are both from Russia. There's a flight risk there. If you don't keep those guys around and give them the opportunity to run with the ball, they're going to go home. And they're both very talented, Shishchurkin, Yorgiev. You had to give him the opportunity to end up buying out Henrik Lundqvist. I love the fit for him in Washington. And the big reason for me is that he's making the decision to go there himself. He doesn't have the pressure of New York being the man. He was the man for years. Now he knows he's going into a scenario. He might start. He might have to take a backup role to Ilya Samsonov, a very young, talented goaltender. It's a great fit, if you ask me. Peter Laviolette coming in, brings some energy to that locker room in Washington. For a million and a half bucks and a crack at the Stanley Cup, I think Lundqvist, that's a great fit for him. Uh, some of the other stuff, though, is really interesting. You know, there's so many different guys you look at and you wonder, is this going to work? Is Cam Talbot in Minnesota really going to be an upgrade? I think it will be, but I think that they need good goalie coaching. I don't think there's been the support that Alex Daylock and Devin Dubnik needed the last few years. They brought in a new goalie coach in Freddie Shabbat. He'll help out there. Braden Holtby going to Vancouver, that should re-energize him. He gets to work with Ian Clark, one of the brightest minds in all of goalie coaching, should be able to dial in his technical game. I'm not sure the ceiling on Holtby anymore, though. I don't know if he's at a level that the guy who just left, Jakob Markstrom, there's a guy who's a stud in the NHL. To me, if he played the entire season last year, he was the Vezina winner. If he would have had that opportunity, he got hurt. He didn't get to play all the games. He brings legitimacy to Calgary's locker room. He brings in a star power in goal. They know who the guy is. That's the big signing for me. I expect success there. The only one that really gives me pause, I don't know about Matt Murray. And, Joey, you can, you're his old teammate. You know who he is. You know how he plays. But he's been lost for two years. He's had problems with his technical game. I know that the goalie coach Pierre Grew in Ottawa has a plan for, for uh, Matt Murray, but that's a team that has not been very good. They don't have anybody on payroll. They're young, and he just got a massive deal at 6.25. I'm not sold there. I don't know how that's going to work with the young team, with him rebuilding his game. I hope it does because he's had that ability in the past, but it's not going to be easy. And, Joey, I'm curious your thoughts there thinking about Matt Murray going to Ottawa. Yeah, talk about another goofy kid. Jeez, jeez, talk about goalies being goofy. Another goofy kid. Uh, <laughs> you know, that was an interesting one because he signed, he signed such a big deal. And you would think for him, you know, to go to a team with a deal like that that is going to compete for a cup. I can't see Ottawa really competing for a cup at least for another two to three years, at least make the playoffs. 
So and that's kind of within the window of, of Matt Murray's time. Will this help him rediscover his game? Possibly, because like you said, Mike, and I agree, I think his game has really fallen off the, the rails here the last two years. I don't know about whether it's technical. I'm not a, a proficient at the goaltender position, but all I know one thing is that his game certainly has fallen off. Does he come to Ottawa? Does he get 40 shots a night? Does he rediscover his game? Does he get a good goaltending coach up there to, to do that? You know, hopefully for his sake and hopefully for Ottawa's sake, I got I know a couple of young kids on that team. I would love to see them compete for, yep. for a few years. You know, you know, I was looking at these the new goaltenders, and I think Mike brings up some good points, Alex. I wanted to lob, lob a question out here to Mike. Mike, and Alex, too, I want your opinion on this as well. If you guys were GMs, your general managers of the National Hockey League, do you feel better with the tandem of Jake Allen and Carey Price? or Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. And the reason I ask that is because with this condensed season, we are going to see a uh, a big, a big push for the backup uh, goaltender position. One, one of the areas that I think a lot of Blues fans are nervous about is Billy Huso being the backup here in St. Louis, who has not been tested all that much at the NHL level. What would that look like here for the St. Louis Blues? But I'm going to get back to that question because I want both your guys' take on it. If you're a GM, a lot of games in a very tight schedule this year, and you're going to need to lean on your backup. Do you feel better as a GM? Mike, I'll start with you with Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury backing you up, or if you're in Montreal with Carey Price taking the load and having the ex-Blue Jake Allen uh, being right behind him there to save the day. I think both of these are great scenarios, without question. What it shows to me is that there's been these huge question marks about spending your money on goaltending. You can't spend above $10 million on goalies. You can't do it. (laughs) Like, that's like the magic number, right, guys, that you can't go above. Well, you've got almost 15 sitting in Montreal, and now you've got 12 sitting in Vegas. Well, guess what? If you end up winning the cup and you end up going deep and you spend that much money on your goaltending, is it worth it? Absolutely. So do you feel more comfortable with Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury than you would Braden Holtby and Thatcher Demko? My answer is absolutely yes. You know, you've got proven goaltenders there. To split hairs between uh, Montreal and Vegas, man, that's so hard to pick. I mean, I, I would – that's rolling the dice, man, really. <laughs> I mean, to me, it depends on how the team plays in front of them because I think they're similar scenarios, right? Like in Robin Leonard, you've got a proven top, top, top-end goaltender. You've got a goaltender who's also done it in Marc-Andre Fleury in the past. And it's similar in Montreal, right? You've got Carey Price who's been there, but who's also looking for more, right? He's got the mystique about him of being Carey Price, but let's be honest, his last couple of years haven't been quite as good. So he's looking for more. You've got a Stanley Cup winner in Jake Allen who knows how to play that role, who can play number one minutes. Right now, my edge would be slightly to Vegas. I, I think that Robin Leonard's at the top of the, the pointy end of NHL goaltenders, and I think Marc-Andre Fleury is so hungry. I don't think he's ready to be a number two. I think those two are going to push each other. Uh, and, and in a condensed schedule, like you mentioned, Joey, it's it's so important to have both guys because you're going to need both of them playing regularly. Yeah, see, that's where I think I'm at too, Joe. I, I would have the slight edge to Vegas, but honestly, you can't go wrong with either of these. The only reason you give the slight edge to Vegas is just because you have two guys who have proven to be number one goaltenders. And this is no shot at Jake Allen. It's just when he was the number one guy in St. Louis, he did struggle at times. He was better when he had somebody to challenge him and split the times with, but – 
in Vegas sense, you've got two guys that if one guy struggles, the other one jumps in. And, and like Mike said, both of those guys are hungry to where they want more. So I would have the slight edge to Vegas. But honestly, it is a very slight edge because I think those two teams going into this upcoming season are best set at the position. Well, yeah, I think that a lot could be said I'd about Dallas in that mix too. There's your third third one with Bishop and Hudobin. Yeah, that'd be my other yeah. other tandem I'd toss in. No, that's that, that's important. I think for so much of it is going to be the team in front of you. And, and you look at Montreal for the little for the little glimpse of playoff hope that they had last year and making the playoffs, even though they shouldn't. You you wonder with that young team how they're going to play in front of Jake Allen because we all saw what he could do as a backup. Mike, all these goalies on this list. Is there anyone that stands out? If you had to pick one, what goalie is going to help their team make a push um, to be a Stanley Cup contender next season? So obviously, uh, I don't think you can, can throw uh, Matt Murray in that mix. But is there a goalie that with this new team, you can see, if not maybe the top uh, of this whole list, a goaltender that you see with the most potential to bring their team and to become a Stanley Cup contender this coming season? I'm talking about right now. Winning's now. Yep. Well, and the the caveat to this is that we're looking, and then in this, in this question, we're trying to find one guy who's going to carry the load and make it happen. To me, it's it's Jacob Markstrom. He stands out head and shoulders above the rest for me. I, I think Holtby and Demko are going to split a lot of minutes. And I think that Talbot in Minnesota, I don't think Minnesota has the horses, and I don't think Talbot's going to be enough of a difference maker to get them deep. You know, Grice goes to Detroit. Well, we know Detroit's rebuilding. And I think that Lundquist, as much as I wish he'd be the starter the whole season from the old guy perspective and rooting for the old guy, uh, I think that's going to be a pretty big split between him and Samsonov in Washington. So Markstrom to me, I don't think he has much competition in David Riddick right now. Even though Riddick was an all-star last year, his game fell off a cliff after the midpoint of the season. He's been up and down. He hasn't ever found that consistency. And I think that Calgary – you know, that's a good team. That's a sleeper good team with some really good pieces. They don't have any coaching turmoil going into this season. That's a team that I think that can surprise. You know, healthy Matthew Kachuk leading them. Giordano's still on the back end. And you bring Markstrom in, who's a horse in the net. If he's healthy all year, he's the guy. Yeah, that's where I'm at, too. Markstrom would be my number one in terms of helping the team because Calgary's only missing ingredient was goaltending, and they just unfortunately never found uh, the guy that helped them. So maybe Markstrom can be that, Joe. We saw it firsthand with what he did against the Blues in Vancouver Canucks series last year. My sleeper, though, is Braden Holtby. Like, number two for me would be Braden Holtby because I, I, if, I, if I were a goalie, I'd have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder if I'm Braden because I just won Washington a Stanley Cup a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, it wasn't the best, but, of course, the young guy comes in and takes my spot. Going to Vancouver, Vancouver had a good team in front of Markstrom. I think Braden Holtby can run away with this for a couple of seasons. So a sleeper of mine is going to be Braden in Vancouver because I think he can really help out that Canucks team. Mike, can't thank you enough, buddy, for sticking around with us tonight and hanging out. It's great to catch up with you and talk. Great to hear that you and the family are doing well. Uh, so uh, here's to hoping that uh, we see hockey at some point sooner rather than later. That's exactly right. And until that point, I'll be hanging out at Kirkwood and Queenie and Pacific and Fenton and doing all the coaching for the eight U kids, which is just a blast. I know Joey, you're you're in the same boat, man. It's it's fun to be on the ice with our kids, isn't it? It's it's been great, Mike. And not only that, but it's great to see so many players around the rink like yourself. 
they're now giving back to these kids. I mean, you see the parents and the kids' faces just light up. We did a goalie clinic quickly, Alex, the other day at Kirkwood Ice Rink, and Mike was out there helping with Keith and Gels, and, and the goalie's eyes just light up. So not only is it great uh, to see the kids all doing it, but it's great to see these great guys who have, uh, have given so much to the game and now give back to the great community. But, Mike, no, it's been it's been a pleasure seeing you around the rink. Thanks so much for your time today. And, and I think, like we both said, we will see each other very soon as the NHL season will be kicking back off quickly. And, and Mike, hopefully Absolutely. and Mike, hopefully you have uh, more success behind the bench than what Joe has had, even with Jim Montgomery as his assistant coach. <laughs> He's getting better help than me. <laughs> We're just playing within the team, within Kirkwood. <laughs> Mike, thanks again, buddy. Have a uh, have a great Christmas with the family and we look forward to talking again soon. You as well, guys. Thanks as always. Have a good one. We'll take a break, and when we come back, Joey and I will get into a power ranking on the general managers. Where does Doug Armstrong fall? We'll touch on that next year on This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Thursday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Of course, this week in hockey. Big thank you to Mike McKenna for coming on with us. Always appreciate when the former NHL goaltender gets to join us here on This Week in Hockey. But, Joe, let's transition into a little general manager's talk, if you don't mind, because uh, Pro Hockey Talk put out a power rankings yesterday of general managers. And I want to read to you the top five. We'll talk about where Doug Armstrong is, but then I want to talk with you about the others that are on the top five, and we'll get into some of this. So, number one, Joe Sackick. I think everyone can get on board with that one for what he's done. Number two, Steve Eiserman. Number three being Doug Armstrong. Four, Julian Breezebois from Tampa Bay. And Don Sweeney has number five from Boston. So, Joe, just your initial thoughts. Uh, initial thoughts about the first, obviously, the top three were great. Even throwing Don Sweeney in, I think, Alex from Boston. You know, you look what he did with getting Charlie Coyle the year that the Blues faced them in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, I think he, I think Don Sweeney won the GM of the year that year, actually, for that move in particular, uh, and also freeing up a couple players there in that kind of salary deal. So I think Don Sweeney should definitely be up there. I love the fact that Doug Armstrong has gotten some love. And Alex, how many times have we seen these lists where we have this quiet GM in St. Louis, which isn't necessarily a hockey hotbed when you compare it to the New Yorks and the Montreals of the world, but, but Doug Armstrong getting up there in the top three, I think that's a terrific nod. I think if he was doing these moves in a hot mark and hot market like Toronto, I think it'd be a number one without question. And I think that then that hurts Doug Armstrong uh, to, to no credit to him or, or maybe to credit to him because what he's done is without even playing the game. I think that's what gives Joe Sack and Steve Eiserman always that little notch because I think that these writers kind of give them a little bit more respect just in the sense that they played this game. I think Joe Sackett should be number one. I thought Steve Eiserman was a little high. I thought he could have dropped to four or five just simply because of the rebuilding he has to work with in Detroit. But, hey, man, you look at what he did in Tampa, eight seasons there in Tampa Bay, the incredible moves he made down there and. And that team that won the Stanley Cup last year, you say what you want, but that was Steve Eisenman's team. So you got to give some great credit there. I think that the Colorado Avalanche are the best team on paper heading into this upcoming season by not, I'm not going to say by far, but definitely the best team on paper. Uh, Colorado will be the scariest team in 21, 22 season. And that has a lot to do with Joe Sack, especially how he decided to revamp the forward roster last season because he realized that he can't go to the Stanley Cup with the McKinnon, Landis Gog, and Ranson line. He needs more depth. So he went out there, got some incredible forward depth. And uh, if they didn't have so many injuries last year, Alex, I don't know how they would have lost that year. 
uh, in the bubble because they, they were just decimated with injuries. But Joe Sackick certainly deserves a number one. Steve Eisenman, a little high for me, and I am definitely thing that jumps out at me biggest time for a St. Louis Blues fan is the fact that Doug Armstrong got some love. What do you think about it? Yeah, you know, I loved the Doug Armstrong aspect of this one, Joey. And, you know, the more I looked at it, the more I thought, you know, he's right where he needs to be. And look, Steve Eiserman, uh, you know, you make a great point being the fact that this is a former Hockey Hall of Famer. And I think that weighs into an awful lot of what Steve Eiserman brings to the table as a general manager, but also. It's the list is taking into an account the entirety of their career on top of current success. And Steve Eiserman, there's no doubt, turned Tampa Bay into a team when they lost Marty St. Louis and LeCavier and Brad Richards into a team that became a powerhouse once they got Stamkos and Hedman and then all of the drafting success that Steve Eiserman pulled off. But let's hone in on Doug Armstrong, Joe, because again, he's right where he needs to be. And, uh, some people might look at this and say, oh, I think he's a little too high because of, you know, the Petrangelo situation or the Alexander Steen contract or the Jay Bowmeister contract. But if that's the biggest gripe on Doug Armstrong is not being able to attain a defenseman who frankly made what Doug Armstrong was unwilling to go to and then did a complete 180 and brought in the next best thing for losing Alex Petrangelo – and if your biggest gripe on Doug Armstrong are contracts, well, those two bad contracts that people are talking about are the reason that a Stanley Cup was brought to St. Louis and Alexander Steen and Jay Bomeister. So in all reality, you can look at certain general managers on this list and complain about things. I don't know if there's an awful lot that you can complain about Doug Armstrong. I don't think there's there's two to me. There are two GM, there are three, three on this list that you can't make really one complaint about. Uh, one Doug Armstrong, which I'll get to in a minute, because you make, you bring up some really good points. Uh, Joe Sackick, for already I already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just looking at Steve Eiserman's work in Tampa really quickly and running through this right now. This is pretty pretty amazing. Since 2013 with John Cooper, Steve Eiserman has drafted drafted now, not 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 traded or picked up in a free not no drafted. So these are these are 17, 18 year old kids mm-hmm. who you have no idea what they're going to be. Drafting players is extremely difficult because you just Never know. Nikita Kucherov, Braden Point, Vasilevsky, Sorelli, Paquette, Palat. I mean, th- those names alone. He goes out in the free agency market, gets Tyler Johnson, Yanni Gord, uh, Sergachev. I mean, these are all that, – that is the core outside of Steven Stamkos. That, to me, is the core of the team that just won the Stanley Cup. Well, and to think that and – th- And think of those two names that you said, Joe, Kucherov and, and Vasilevsky. Those are two Russian players – and we know how difficult it is to find Russian players that can create success in the NHL. Big time. I mean, to me, Victor Hedman and, and, um, <clears throat> was probably the only player that I don't think Steve Eisman was necessarily responsible for. I have to go back and, and look um, to, to clean up my facts here. But I think Hedman may have been the only player on that entire core that won the Cup that was not a responsibility of Steve Eisman. So, yeah, do I, do I think he belongs there? Yes, I think without question. And another, another GM, as you just mentioned, Alex and Doug Armstrong, you know, you look at the Petrangelo thing, uh, whether they have a knock on him. Listen, I don't think Petrangelo wanted to stay here. I mean, you could say what you want. He could have stayed here if he wanted to, and he didn't, right? I mean, I do I think it was strictly a money thing? I don't think it was strictly a money thing. I think he was ready to move on. I think he was ready, excited for a new challenge, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if I'm Petrangelo, would I do the same thing? I probably would do the same thing. You've already won a cup here. You've been here a long time. Maybe it's time for a fresh start and a new challenge without question, but you can't put that on the GM. 
because I think Doug Armstrong did whatever he felt was best for the team and given him a number that he felt comfortable with in order for Petrangelo to stay. At the end of the day, it wasn't Petro's decision to stay. So it's not on the GM to do that. So I don't think that's a knock. Look at look at the three the, the three biggest things to me that Doug Armstrong has done probably in the last three seasons and set the Blues up for a Stanley Cup championship and then at another run or at least being in a big window to continue to win. Uh, number one, without question, is going to be the Ryan O'Reilly. We can mm-hmm. all agree. All agree right there. Not only do you get Ryan O'Reilly, um, you you actually free up a lot of prospects and players that were kind of on their way out. You look at Berglund, how he wasn't really feeling it anymore. I mean, he freed up a lot of players here that were in the system, and he got a Ryan O'Reilly with Con Smythe winner. And without him, Blues don't win the Stanley Cup. That's of course number one. Braden Shen. Sometimes this one gets overlooked a little bit because of how impactful the Ryan O'Reilly trade was. But you get Braden Shen. Now you sign him to a great extension. He's going to be a blue maybe the rest of his career. He is just all heart and soul. He's a Craig Berube type of player, and he's going to run this ship uh, moving forward. And then another one uh, I was thinking, Alex, we mentioned this, I think, last week or the week before on our show. When he signed David Perron for the third time, going back <laughs> yeah. to St. Louis, everyone was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, enough with the David Perron thing. And not to mention – I think they signed him for a three-year by $4 million. So right now, I think he's making $4 million. So at the time when they signed him, everyone was like, oh, my God. And then for how much? Holy smokes, is, is Doug Armstrong sniffing glue? Now look at this. David Perron is making $4 million, and he is Ryan O'Reilly's best asset. Those two are, to me, the offensive engine the most consistently every single night. Now you're going to have the great players that show up, the Braden Chens, the Terrace Singles. Of course, I'm not, I'm not knocking those guys. But from a consistency standpoint, I don't think you can look beyond two players that have been more consistent than David Prawn and Ryan O'Reilly in the way they work together. So to me, that is the third and probably the biggest thing that has made Doug Armstrong, Alex, uh, on this list at the number three spot, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, well, and one more, too, that, that comes to mind, Joe, while you were talking. Uh, the the trade to get Oscar Sundquist and Clint yeah. Costin, which that draft pick, and again, we don't know what Clint Costin's going to be, but – to trade Ryan Reeves, who was a fan favorite, but also wasn't going to fit into the system that Doug Armstrong was trying to implement, he goes out there and gets an Oscar Sundquist, who has been a main staple in this lineup since he was acquired. So you got to give props where props are due, and Doug Armstrong, without question, is the third best general manager in the NHL. Two that surprised me, Joe, and then we'll get out of here, and I got one more topic to get into after the break. So the two at the bottom of the list, Stan Bowman from the Chicago Blackhawks and Jim Benning from the Vancouver Canucks. Mm. Stan Bowman, I I will just briefly say, you know, when when Joel Quinville, when he lost his job, mm-hmm. this was going back two seasons ago, and it, it was funny because when he lost his job, I believe it was did Joel Quinville lose his job before or after Mike Yo? It was it was close. Uh, I think it was was it think after? It, no, see, I think it was before because I think he was he was already a free agent when Mike Yo was let go. And then I remember at that press conference everyone was asking, Are you gonna go get Joel Quinville? And Doug Armstrong would say, We're going to interview everybody and we'll make a decision at yes. the end of the season. You're absolutely right. I do remember that comment and I think that is why he said that. Uh was Joel Quinville on Doug Armstrong's radar without question. Mm-hmm. I think we could all just agree with that. Um, you know, so a lot of the questions for surrounding Joel Quenville were um, a matter of, you know, the team that was presented to him, was it, was it capable of winning? And a lot of people to me, and, and I agree with this, the fault of all this would fall back on Sam Bowman, Sam Bowman, the GM that signed, uh, you know, Duncan Keith to that crazy deal to Brent Seabrook to the crazy deal that it was, you know, Brent Seabrook. I think you can look at this player, not that it's his fault, but you could look at him, Alex, without question, as maybe one of the 
biggest players responsible for putting their team in a cap hell. Again, yeah. nothing against Seabrook. This was a Stan Bowman deal. So I think that a lot of the GM moves that Stan Bowman has made in Chicago has really put this team behind the eight ball. And now you look at it, I mean, talk about this for a second. You got Patrick Kane, who's still in his prime. You got Jonathan Taze, still in his prime. Duncan Keith, I think he's still in his window prime. Maybe toward the end of the window, but it's still there. You got three incredible players. They're all going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. In their prime, you just lost your your, your best goaltender in Corey Crawford, and now you're in a quote-unquote rebuilding phase. Think about that. With those kind of players, you're rebuilding with the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, talk about what do you think is going through the minds of Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, and I think – a lot of this has to fall on the shoulders of Stan Bowman. Yeah, I don't agree, or I agree without question. Um, he's put them in a bad position, which, look, I think any general manager would do that when you look at the success of Taves, Kane, and Duncan Keith at the time. But, you know, they've uh, they've been unable to keep players around, which has put them in this position where they really can't sustain uh, that success. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. When we come back, Jeremy Rutherford put a survey out for Blues fans on The Athletic, and I want to throw some of these questions at Joe. He and I will discuss next as we wrap up This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Final time here tonight here on This Week in Hockey. As always, if you miss any of our program or many shows in the past that you want to catch up on, wherever you get your podcasts from, Apple, Google Play Store, or the 101ESPN.com, you can get all of it This Week in Hockey. Joe Vitale, let's uh, let's wrap up with some Blues fan survey questions. So Jeremy Rutherford, our good buddy of ours who covers the Blues for the Athletic put a fan survey out for the upcoming season of the St. Louis Blues and I want to throw a couple of questions at you to see kind of where you land kind of with what the fans land so the first one Joe what was the Blues main problem in the postseason in your opinion trouble adjusting to the bubble life unmotivated after winning the cup thought they could turn it on and were wrong just didn't play well Uh, I think they were not nearly as motivated as the other teams that were. You looked at Vancouver, Alex, and it was a young team, a fast team, but they were hungry. They were excited to be there. They didn't think they were going to be in the playoffs. They kind of squeaked in there. They showed up in Edmonton, not too far from where they live, and they were just excited to play, and I think they played with that hunger. They played with that fight that the Blues played with back in 2019. You come off the Stanley Cup championship like they did in the June of 2019. It was a short off season. They played great all season long. Did they feel like they got slighted a little bit by this new setup schedule of the bubble? Probably. And I just think that the mental motivation just was not there for the Blues. At least that was my take. Yeah, that's where I was too. You know, honestly, Joe, and this might just be me thinking too much about it, I kind of, after all is said and done and the death dust is settled, kind of looked at it and wondered, did the Blues just feel like, you know what, we just won the Cup. We want to be home with our family. It's just not worth it right now. And I don't know if that's true because I think the cup is always worth it to players. And if you're there, you're already there. But hearing some of the guys talk about the bubble, it just felt like from what the players experienced in the Stanley Cup final when they won it in Boston and then going to a bubble and experiencing that, it just felt like the 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 desire to to achieve the top pinnacle of that cup just kind of dissipated once the, the once the postseason kind of continued on. Well, I think you have to look at matchups because I think that's so important in, in playoffs and Stanley Cup. In your runs, it's all about matchups. So in 19, the Blues had the matchup in the first round, the Winnipeg Jets. I think that was their biggest opponent. They knew if they get through Winnipeg, they'd have a clear shot, at least a really good opportunity to get to the Stanley Cup final. Of course, they beat Winnipeg, and then they found all this kind of crazy motivation, right? I think last year in the bubble, Alex, I think it was actually quite the opposite. 
I think uh, for different reasons, they played a weaker team in the first round in Vancouver. But what were they looking at uh, ahead of time? And I know it's, it's easy to say, you know, stay in the moment. But players do look ahead. They would have had to go through the Vegas Golden Knights, which were a power horse, and the Colorado Avalanche. I remember the Colorado Avalanche lost because they had just decimated with injuries. Yeah. But at the time when they were playing Vancouver, the Blues were thinking, okay, we got to get through Vegas. We got to get through Colorado. And then Tampa's lingering in the east. If we even get there, to try to get through Tampa's going to be going to be tough. So matchup-wise, I think, of course, you're looking around the league and who's hot, who's not. I think the Blues looked at how overwhelmingly hard it was going to be to get to the Stanley Cup final this year. And did that play a little bit to their psyche? Maybe, maybe not. I, I remember as a player, though, I definitely looked around the league, looked at the matchup, looked at the teams that were hot in that moment. And last year, if I was on the Blues team and I saw Colorado and Vegas and how strong they were at the time of the first round and when it began, it would have made me a little nervous without question. So, Joe, another question. Uh, Jordan Binnington, we talked goaltenders with Mike McKenna a couple of segments ago. Jordan Binnington, of course, entering that final year of his contract. How do you view the future of this guy? Franchise goalie, adequate above average, or just a flash in the pan, meaning that one year of success? No, I think he'll be a franchise goalie. I think that you know, we we saw a small little hiccup in his time in St. Louis, and it happened at a terrible time because we have all this time now off. But let's not forget how consistent this kid has been since he came up in that January night in Philadelphia. He was complete nails in 2019. Without him, the Blues don't win the Cup. Then he comes back in 2020, or excuse me, 2019-2020 season, and he starts out in October, and the Blues are in first place before the pandemic hits, largely because of the goaltending they're getting from Jordan Pennington. There hasn't really been any hiccup in his game up to that point. Then all this time happens. He goes to Edmonton. Again, you never know what the psyche or the mental preparation is going on, especially inside a goaltender's head. He has a few bad games, lets in a couple goals, gets a little bit leaky, and everyone wants to freak out. From a consistent standpoint of what we've seen from this kid, for as long as we've seen it, he will be the franchise goaltender, I do believe, here in St. Louis, and he's going to be hungry this year because of the now being the UFA at the end of the season. So he is going to be ready to fight. I actually talked to him yesterday. We did a quick little Zoom for some season ticket holders. And you just uh, – a lot of these players come on these Zooms I do with them, and they're kind of giddy and jokey. He was just a very, very serious. You could tell he's just already kind of in that zone. He's back in St. Louis. He's training. He's skating with the guys. So I think he's going to be very excited to be coming back. can only imagine how you trying to just uh, grab some type of sense of humor out of Bennington, and that's just uh, that's just not going to happen with number 50. You know what? It was a little bit difficult, but you know me. I'm, I'm pretty good on, on the spot, and I can improv pretty well. So I decided to make a game of it. I actually took all these, like, big um, – names like a uh, corporation names like fedex amazon i got all these labels all these crazy companies have these labels and there's all these like hidden messages in the labels <laughs> like a fedex you look at a fedex yep. logo do you know what's in, uh-huh. you, you know what's inside of it no it's a, there's an arrow so oh, yeah, yeah yeah so things like that so what i did was i just like basically cut out all these things and I just like made a game of it and like Baskin Robbins logo is a secret 31 in the Baskin Robbins ice cream logo, which means that they have 31 flavors. So yeah, I definitely had to spice it up because he was like locked in like a laser beam where I wasn't really grabbing much personality. If I know Bennington, he probably loved that because it was something that was out of the ordinary questions that he's always asked. So he probably got a kick out of that. It was awesome. Yeah, he was, he was probably hopping on thinking people were going to ask him or I was going to ask him about his time in the bubble or what happened right. in the bubble, in which, he, of course, he does not want to talk about. So I thought, you know what, let's, let's bring out a little personality. It was, I love it, it was a fun game. It was a fun game. It was great. I love it, Joe. Final one, man, before we get out of here, question that JR put out on the Athletica fan survey, which you can go to and, and vote on. Vladimir Tarasenko now with three shoulder surgeries, expected to be back this season. How concerned are you with his future? 
I'm not concerned because it's a shoulder and it's an upper body. And I think this is something that is very different from what we saw with Robbie Fabry and two back-to-back ACL injuries. Hockey players, the, the two biggest things you need to try to avoid are knee surgeries and hip surgeries, especially those labrum, right in the hip. Once you start getting into the hips, once you start cutting into hips and knees, that's where you just got to start worried because like we all know, Alex, the legs feed the wolf in the sport and you got to be able to skate and you got to be able to have your lower body. That's the most important lower body in your, in your abs. It's like they, they say that a hockey player's best physique is a big, long triangle starts at your xiphoid process, just where the two rib cages meet right underneath your heart. And it goes a triangle shoot down to your legs. So that's, that's where the strength of a hockey player lies in your abdominals and your legs. Right? So Vladimir Tarasenko, I know it's been three shoulder surgeries, uh, but I do feel good uh, in the fact that, that hopefully this last one did take. But even if it didn't, even if it's not 100%, which I don't think we can expect, um, it's still a shoulder, which is something where Vladimir Tarasenko has such a great shot and he's so prolific with his hands, where if he's at 80%, it's better than most players 100%. So I still think he will be okay, uh, and I'm really grateful that it's upper body. I think he'll be back. I think he'll have a great year. Yep, I'm I'm with you on that one. I think uh, hearing Tarasenko talk about his shoulder and how he doesn't expect to have any setbacks once he returns, that gives me full confidence in a guy who has followed through on every word that he has given in his time playing with the St. Louis Blues. Joey V, it's great to be back on the air with you, buddy. I'm glad you had a great Thanksgiving with the family. Uh, we will keep the things rolling along until we uh, hopefully get some good news about hockey season coming back soon because, frankly, I'm ready to get back into the booth or I guess I should say studio with you and Chris Kerber looking forward to it Alex always a pleasure and go home and take care of your wife who is starting to feel the third trimester blue we all all been there that is right third trimester hitting Katie hard especially with exhaustion she's uh she's sleeping pretty much 24 7 which is a great sign means she's healthy means the baby's healthy Joey V great stuff as always buddy have a great rest of the weekend and we'll talk next week Thanks, Alex. Talk to you next week, buddy. There you go. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Thanks for joining us on This Week in Hockey. We'll talk to you next Thursday here on 101 ESPN.